Hi, welcome to episode two of the Lit Flicks podcast. We are books, movies, booze. So basically, we're going to read a book, watch a movie, have some drinks, and talk about it. Yep. I am Casey. In that order, I'm Abby. This podcast is explicit and it has tons of spoilers, so you've all been warned. And lots, and like, let's reiterate the explicitness because I think people were a little bit surprised last time. Yeah, there's lots of explicitness. Yeah. Explicity? No, that's not right. (laughs) Continue. (laughs) On tonight's episode, we'll be discussing I Am Legend by Richard Matheson, published in 1954. Super old book. So I have to tell you a story about when I got this book in the mail. Okay. I was so excited that we chose this book because it's like 160 pages. Wasn't that a relief? Yeah, but when I got it... When I got it and opened it, there's over 300 pages, and I was so confused. I didn't understand what's happening. <laughs> so I look in the beginning, and it's like, I am legend, followed by all these other things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's 160 pages till I get to chapter two? <laughs> what the hell? What? Then I realized, oh, they're not chapters. Maybe it's different parts. Because, <laughs> like, you know, no, like, books have... Part one, blah, blah, blah. Part two. Okay, so then I go to the copyright page and there's seven different copyright dates. And I'm like, what? Why would he write different parts of this book published in different years? (laughs) He's like, let's just go back and amend. But then I realized some of the publication dates are before this book was written. What? So one of the published dates on one of these so-called parts (laughs) It's 1952. But it's at the end of the book. It's like in the middle. So I'm so confused. And I can't understand what's happening. Why would you do this? It makes no sense. I mean, the 50s was kind of backwards, let's be honest. And then I, my brain like turned back on and I realized, oh, they're different short stories. (laughs) So it wasn't double the length that you thought it was. And it's not published in like 10 different years. <laughs> like he did not he did not go back and add on to this story. I don't know how dumb I can be, but this was a highlight. Oh, honey, your brain was turned off that day. Yeah, it was real good. I feel real special. How much vodka had you had that afternoon? Surprisingly none. Oh, okay. That's just your natural state. It was just a real <laughs> dumb moment. That's okay. Let's not even If I ever write a book, that's how I'm it's gonna be. Like I publish <laughs> it a few years later, I add to it. Like, let's publish the end first and really freak people out. Yeah, it's just gonna come out in parts and I'm just gonna keep adding to it. <laughs> well, I mean, I was a little confused when I got it too. I texted you and I was like, um, this is 300 pages, but oh well. And then I look at my phone like an hour later and there's like 16 <laughs> texts about your all your different like steps of your... Yeah, like- you really walked through my thought process there. So I'm sorry you had to experience everything I went through. It perfect. It made me really happy. And I felt a little bit better about myself that day. Oh, so dumb. <laughs> so dumb. Okay. I still love you. Thanks. Okay, so do you want to talk about the origins of the book first? Uh, I can. Okay. There have been four film adaptations, and for this episode, we've gone with the 2007, directed by Francis Lawrence and starring Will Smith. Hottie. I think later we're going to do some reboot episodes featuring the other films, but that's a ways down the line when we get our shit together. I really love how we're on episode two. This is our second take, and you're like, listen... Episode 365 is going to be the reboot of I Am Legend. I love how... A hundred percent. how in the tonight, future you are. Like tonight, maybe like an hour ago, I was thinking, I wonder if I should stop saying the episodes. No, it'll be so cool when I'm like, welcome to episode 100. I so I've, I've planned for our future. Okay, good. I'm glad because I want this to go on forever. We have enough books that it just might. Literally everything is adapted from a book. I never realized how much Hollywood doesn't do their own work. They don't at all. <laughs> they just take from books. So many shows, I'm like, 
based on blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what? It's like based on this, but we totally changed the story so that we could sell tickets. Yeah, they have nothing to do with each other, <laughs> but it's some of the characters might have the same name. Right, exactly. Good times. Tonight, we're drinking a bloody vampire, which is the perfect theme. And the recipe is going to be in our show notes, but it's cranberry juice, ginger ale, vodka, and dry ice. So it's basically a vodka cranberry with ginger ale, but that's my like my favorite drink. So I'm totally cool with it. If you throw in the dry ice, it looks real spooky. Gorgeous. Just totally sets the mood. Richard Matheson was born on February 20th. Shout out another February birthday. He's a Pisces, but you're not, right? I'm like right on the cusp. Yeah, I think some say I'm Aquarius. Some say Pisces. I think you're an Aquarius. It's the dawning. I feel like of the age of Aquarius. I'm the mix. Yeah, you are. You totally are. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. And he passed away in June of 2013. So he lived to a ripe old age. He did, and uh, you know he's got a great career. Cool. What did he do with his life? (laughs) So Tell his me about best it. known wor- <laughs> his best known work is I Am Legend. Okay. He also wrote the novel and the screenplay for Somewhere in Time. I don't and know what that is, but okay. I'm sure a lot of people do. My mom likes that movie. I remember her making me watch it. Oh, nice. It's with Christopher Reeves and Jane Seymour. Jane Seymour. Was she Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman? She was. Oh, I love that show with my grandma. I watched it. Oh. Yeah. I remember watching it. I remember there was this episode where these Chinese people didn't get food poisoning because they didn't take milk in their tea. <laughs> I okay, don't I don't remember that. Let's skip that's over That's very that. specific. Yeah, that's the only episode I remember. <laughs> so he also wrote 16 episodes of The Twilight Zone. Nice. Fucking love The Twilight Zone. Okay, I've never seen it. How shameful is that? Casey. Are you Oh my gosh, the look me? you just... The look you just gave me shot like ice into my heart. I'm not even being like sarcastic right now. I'm sad. I know. I try to hide some of these facts from you because it's so shameful. Wait. So, okay. Let's rewind. So like you've never seen the original like black and white ones? No. And you never saw like the reboot ones? No. Okay. It's so sad. And have you ever seen the movie? No. Fuck. We can't be friends anymore. <laughs> We're done. This is over. The shame that I feel upon me right now is great. <laughs> no, we'll just have to have a marathon someday and you'll get all educated and it'll be great. Okay. So the list of his work goes on and on. We could talk about it forever, but you should check out his site. It'll be in our show notes again. Yes. I'll write those. He has inspired hundreds of writers, including Stephen King, which is top-notch horror. So That's like serious serious stuff he's written like over 50 books and he's like really rich and he every book he's made is a movie i'm talking about stephen king right now okay yeah. <laughs> and he's so cool did he didn't stephen king write or direct maximum overdrive he wrote i don't know if it was a book but yes i think it was it based, was a book yeah i think it's based on his book okay what made you think of that did you watch it today? No, I keep thinking about watching it, and it looks so bad. I haven't. Oh, you've never done seen it, it? yet. Casey, I watched the trailer for it. I know oh, I'm damn horrible. It. You're the fucking worst. So sorry. It's okay. Uh, so the ins. Oh, go ahead. Oh, the inspiration for I Am Legend came from him watching Bell Lugosi's Dracula. And I think you and I both said that we get him and Vincent Price confused, right? Yeah, yeah. we did. Because Vincent Price is in the original I Am Legend. I Am Omega? Omega Man. The Legend Man. <laughs> it's one of those? Okay. Cool. That's amazing. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Vincent Price. Cool. Okay, move on. Let's go. Okay, so when he he actually read Bram Stoker's novel while he was in sitting on the latrine during his basic training. <laughs> on the lat- so it's like when you like ditch out of work to listen to your or to like look at your phone. He Yeah, and you just stay in there. Yeah, he read Dracula instead. 
Yes. Cool. And so he thought if one vampire was scary, how terrifying would a whole world full of them be? Which is great considering that book isn't scary in the least, but it's so cute that he thought it was. It's like adorable. I mean, I think it would have been back in yeah, those days. Yeah, that's the problem is like now in our worst time, they've been so jaded. Yeah, exact. Jaded is the perfect word. We've been totally mm-hmm. just like taught that vampires aren't that scary anymore. The main character actually reads Dracula in the book, which I think was a great nod to that. Yeah, that's really cute. I liked that a lot. This book also, in 2012, won Vampire Story of the Century, beating out everyone from Stephanie Meyer uh, to Anne Rice. (laughs) (laughs) Beating Anne Rice? That's fucking amazing. Because she's, like, what, the most famous vampire writer other than Bram Stoker? I mean, obviously. I think think so. Like, I, I couldn't name any others. That's incredible. I have... I mean, I know other vampire books, but not... Like, everyone knows Interview with a Vampire. Everybody. You can't get away mm-hmm. from it. It was, like, a big thing in the 90s. Like I think if you're talking about vampires, that instantly comes into it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's... What an honor to, like, beat Anne Rice. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. In I Am Legend, the vampires share more similarities with zombies and this novel actually influenced the zombie genre and popularized the concept of a zombie apocalypse so basically i have this book to thank for one of my all-time favorite novel novels world war z fucking love that book i can't wait to do it here someday it makes me sad to do it at the same time because the movie is so so not what the book was. Yeah, but that's something we can talk about at least. And my husband, Andrew, and I actually listened to the audiobook of World War Z when we were driving home from Eastern Oregon. It was one of the best trips we've oh, ever taken. That's so awesome. What a good it idea. It was great. And the audiobook for that is awesome because different people read the different interview parts. Oh, it's so great. Nice. I'll have to check that out. That would be a really good... Because I think we're coming up on our slow time at work. That would be a really good thing to like have on in the background. Yeah. I'm usually not super into audiobooks, but this one was amazing. So cool. And then wasn't there a tiny little zombie film that this um, inspired as well? Yes. That tiny little zombie film would be called Night of the Living Dead. Oh my fucking God. So cool. Okay. This is where I have to tell you about the show I was watching tonight. Okay. Okay, I'm so excited. So you and I, nobody else knows this except for your mom, but you and I have this weird psychic connection where, like, we text each other, and it's like, what are you watching? And I'm like, I'm at this part of Jurassic World. And you're like, no fucking way. I'm a minute later in the movie. Yeah, it's a kind of creepy and amazing. Yeah, and dinners, it's like, I had taco salad, and it's like, no fucking way. So did I. So that's why we're friends. Um, but have you watched... The new Sabrina reboot. Oh my gosh, I almost started that today and I was trying to finish The Haunting of Hill House. Okay, so I started it while I was waiting for you to Skype me. Okay. And it makes me so excited. Um, so it's like pretty good so far, but like I only watched like 30 minutes of it. How many times can we say like in a sentence? Um, Isn't the girl the little girl from Mad Men. She is the little girl from Mad Men. She's also the girl from The Turncoat's Daughter, which I loved. A lot of people hated it, but I thought it was great. Anyway, sh- so they in the very, very beginning of the move of the show, they go to see Night of the Living Dead, and they're sitting there geeking out, doing what we're doing, talking about. Well, yeah, it was about zombies, but it was also about the Cold War, which I'm totally going to mention on this show. So it's like, it's like a turducken. It's like. <laughs> I am legend within Night of the Living Dying. Dead within Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which is just so fucking cool. It's so really I'm cool. Really, I'm really excited. And it's funny that you said you were going to watch it today and then you didn't. I know. I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, I want to start that. But wait, I've got to finish this show because we're adults. I'm not- and I'm notorious for not finishing shows. So. Ditto, sister. The other really cool thing about this book is that, like, a scientific origin for vampirism and zombies, this, like, it's so commonplace now, but at the time in the 50s, this was a really original idea. Oh, that's cool to think about. 
Yeah, that before this, they were all supernatural legends Super, and yeah. supernatural, and it, this really cemented the scientific reasoning behind it. That is so fucking cool. I love this guy. I can't, I want to read like everything else he's ever written. I think it's amazing that this tiny 160 page book has such long reaches. Yeah. That it's almost intimidating to try to do it justice. That's true. Yes. Agreed. Because, yeah, the things that it's influenced and changed is just mind boggling. Yeah, we wouldn't have any of our zombie stuff without that. Really? We wouldn't have a lot of things without it. That's incredible. I mean, maybe someone else would have thought of it, but this was truly like kind of the turning point. Cheers to Richard Matheson. Yes. Cheers. Okay. Do you want me to start on plot summary? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. So when we enter the book, Robert Neville is supposedly the only survivor on Earth of a pandemic that causes its victims to have vampire-like symptoms. Neville resides in LA and dedicates his life to researching the disease that wiped out humanity. Throughout the novel, Neville recounts his life through flashbacks. The present demonstrates Neville's daily routine and his emotional journey of being alone. You got so something just to for say? no, just for a reference. So he wrote the book in '54, but the time period of the book is 1976, and the movie was released in 2007. But the time period is 2010. Oh, that's a good point. I. It's really easy to forget that you're in different time periods with both the book yeah. and the movie. I think it's also an interesting jump that he jumped, what, 22 years and we jump three? Yeah. So, Do you think we were supposed to feel like impending doom? Whereas in the book, it's like, oh, that's far in the future. I think now with the advances we've made in medicine and science that it's so easy to see something changing tomorrow oh that's so true where maybe then it seemed you know kind of more futuristic things and just move slower back then really yeah yeah i think now i mean if they're like hey tomorrow there's going to be this giant pandemic i would believe it yeah absolutely and be like oh yep somebody probably did that yeah the other thing i thought was interesting is the book he's in los angeles and in the movie he's in new york yeah and I don't really understand why they jumped locations because it seems like it would have been easier to film in Los Angeles. That's a really good point. Because shutting down New York streets doesn't seem like a simple thing to do. No, that's true. I mean, Los Angeles, everybody drives. So you don't want to shut that down either. People will be fucking pissed. <laughs> but I don't know. There's just so many lots and studios there. I thought it would true. be easier for them to film there. I don't yeah I mean it's cool that they went to New York but it makes me sad because I had a thought as because I had the same question in my mind and I had a thought as to the reason why and I can't remember what, what it was maybe because New York is such a worldwide center for things like I don't know Los Angeles it'd be it'd be easy to be ground zero exactly like it's just I mean I don't want to sound like a fucking asshole saying this but it kind of feels like the center of the world sometimes you know okay I don't know yeah that was the kind of gist that I got from it. I have some stuff to say about the, like the beginning of the book. Okay. If you're finished. Yeah, I have more, but it's for later. So Okay. One of the things that I felt like when I first started reading this book, like at the beginning, I could just feel myself in a film noir, like black and white. You walk into that detective office or whatever, you know, those film noirs where it's like, oh, she walked into my life and that was it. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I noticed a lot of kind of similarities with the film noir and actual like pulp novels. So you've got flashbacks, which he lives a lot of his stuff through flashbacks. The overall pessimism of the book. You've got an urban land- labyrinth, both with Los Angeles and New York. There's a sci-fi mm-hmm. element with the medical experiments and the mm-hmm. bomb. You have a femme fatale. Mm-hmm. Also a flawed main character. That's a big thing in um, film noir. And it gets some of its... Uh, film noir actually gets some of its influences from pulp novels, which do include horror, but I didn't see anything that classified this as a pulp novel, but I could totally feel that kind of literary aesthetic going on. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, totally interesting. As in, shut the, it, it is shut the no, fuck up, Abby. You don't know what you're talking about. 
It's interesting that it has so many things connected without actually being a part of it. Yeah, and I think that's kind of like the gist of the book too because it is such an influence also. So it's like it gets all these fingers everywhere. Do you know if the Vincent Price movie is in black and white? It's not. I watched a trailer for it. It's in color. Okay. Okay. Which I really want to fucking watch it soon because the vampires in that, did you see what they looked like? Not in that one. I watched the one with, I believe, Charlton Heston. Okay. The vampires in the Vincent Price one are literally robed figures that are, and the faces and hands are painted white. And I want to see it so bad. That's amazing. It looks so good. Episode 325. (laughs) Here we come. Okay. Do you have anything else to say about the beginning? So in the book, Neville has so much medical information to learn. And then we flash to the movie where he already has this. He's part of the team trying to cure it or stop its spread. Yeah. He's a colonel in the military and he's a doctor. Yeah. Will Smith actually went to the CDC to learn how to use all that medical equipment. No, he didn't. Mm-hmm. I think it's so God, cool. I fucking love him. He's sexy and intelligent and beautiful and amazing. The other really interesting thing I thought Will Smith did for kind of character background, he went and spoke to inmates from solitary confinement <gasps> to learn like how they stay sane and how you function and live alone. Are you serious? Yeah, so what he came away with is that routine is key and you have to have a really strict schedule and do the same thing every day. Oh, interesting. So I I thought he did really good. In the movie, you kind of felt that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even in the book, too, he, I mean, he discusses that, the routine that he falls Mm -hmm. into. And if he falls out of it at all, shit gets real fucked up and he starts to go, he starts to spin out. Yeah, so an interesting quote from the book is a man could get used to anything if he had to. That's true, because all all that matters at that point is just living. I thought that was interesting. If you think about all the things that if you had to do this, something in the human spirit, you could do it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think any of us know what we're truly capable of. That's incredible to think about. And it ties into some stuff I have to say about the book later on, too, where it's I'll explain it later. But yes, I agree. Okay, so really quick, in the movie, in the beginning, Will Smith is out hunting deer, elk, or whatever, and he's in Times Square, and in the background, you see a huge movie poster for Batman versus Superman. That was, that freaked me out. I was like, wasn't that later? Am I in a time warp? It didn't, it didn't come out until 2016, so props for the future seeing (laughs) directors and writers. psychics that were behind this movie. Yes. The only other thing, in the book, he says monotony is an obstacle and time has lost its multidimensional scope. Yeah. I thought that was a really kind of amazing thing that there's no past, there's no future. You really just live for today. You're just in the moment and that's all you fucking have. And I don't know if that would make life easier or so much harder. I think it's kind of beautiful, to be honest. And I'll talk more about my opinion on that later. But um, there was also... I loved the Times Square thing. There's like, it's like there's these comparisons and allusions to the masses, like masses of people. And I think the movie really pointed that to that with the them using Times Square because it sets up the stark contrast between what we're used to seeing as totally full of people and totally bustling and just absolutely alive with movement. Mm-hmm. And then it's yeah. completely empty and just pretty much still until his car comes in and it just really highlights wow it's fucking lonely Mm -hmm. so i completely yeah all right in the beginning of the book we also have well the beginning of the book and the movie you've got these spheres that are really pulled out of their respective time periods so in the 50s you have the atom bomb world war ii you have the cold war which Sabrina the Teenage Witch talks about, so we know that's accurate. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then in the 2000s, you have a fear of cancer that really causes this desperation in people. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think all playing on those fears really helps to set up the terror that you're intended to feel throughout the book and the movie. Mm -hmm. Just the absolute desperation and terror. 
Um, and in both the book and the movie, you have humans thinking they can do whatever they want and there won't be any consequences. And fader nature is just like, fuck you, take that. And I kind of have mixed feelings about that because if we didn't have that crazy drive to discover and to like move forward, nothing would ever get done. You wouldn't have penicillin, you know? You wouldn't have a whole lot of things. You wouldn't have a whole lot of things, but then it comes back and fucking bites us in the ass. So I think that this, I think a big theme throughout the book and the movie is like, is this hubris or is this like hope? Which is it? And I don't always know. I always get weird and go back to the hot zone when we start pushing nature. I fucking love that book, dude. And we just, we push and we push and we push and eventually the earth pushes back. Nature pushes back. That's absolutely true. But like, We're not the most powerful beings right? as much as we'd like to think we are. We think we're these all fucking powerful, we can do anything, we are gods kind of thing. And then, like you said, nature pushes back. But it's like, where would we be without that drive? We would be fucked, you know? So it's like... It's, but we might be fucked with it, too. Yeah, it's just such a, like, Greek tragedy. It's so sad. But it's great. And I love it. Okay, moving on. I think that brings up such the moral question, just because we can do it, should we do it? Oh, Jeff Goldblum. You sexy, sexy man in Jurassic Park. What? What? <laughs> I just picture him with his shirt open on that table. <laughs> He's so The gorgeous. most iconic movie scene. So hot. <sighs> what you call discovery, I call the rape of the natural world. <laughs> okay, that's for a different episode. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so are we ready to move on to the next plot point? Yes. Okay. The vampire-like creatures are former humans in animals that were bitten by the infected. These, bring, these beings can be corpses that had the bacteria implanted or living hosts. The infected humans have human-like characteristics yet possess more dominant vampire-like qualities. The beings come out during the nighttime and repel from garlic, among other things. I thought this was really kind of interesting. And for the corpses, they're not people that were already dead. Are they people that died from the virus? I don't know. I got really confused at this point. I didn't understand the differences between the two. I think you're was... right. I think you're right, though. Okay, that's kind of what I took away from it. So yeah, in the movie, he states that 1% of the world's population is immune, which in the book, he doesn't mention anyone else being immune. He thinks he's immune because he was bit by a vampire bat in oh, Panama. Yeah, that's right. Because he did a hot zone thing and pushed into the jungle like he wasn't supposed to. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting that the movie, it really specified and he even gave numbers for what it would have been at that time where the book was very elusive on that fact. Okay. And that makes sense too, because Robert Neville in the movie is this very clinical... I mean, he's already a fucking doctor, so yeah. and he's in the military, so he's super regimented. That makes total sense for that character. I have more to say about that too, because this is where we start to see him really trying to solve the issue and to learn about it and cure it. He reads everything he can, like he's always fighting this urge to like just lay down and die, and so he's like, "I'm not going to do that." I'm going to get up and like learn whatever I can do. And I just kept picturing Jack Skellington trying to solve Christmas with equations. Like, <laughs> did you do that at all? Like, I can't get away from it in my mind. It's like, but what does it mean? <laughs> no, but I think that's a great picture. Okay. And then, and it's interesting because science almost becomes his religion and it's great. And I love that he tried to use logic to explain this whole horrible thing, but it's completely futile. Like there's even a point in the book where he's in a library and he's like, all these books are just pointless, but he continues on anyway. Yeah. I, throughout the whole book, I kind of questioned just, is this human nature to fight so hard for survival? Like, does everyone have this in them? But here's my question about that. And I don't disagree with that question, but like, He's not fighting for survival. He's fighting for an answer. If he was just fighting for survival, he'd go about his daily routine and just drink his fucking whiskey and listen to his records like I would do. But instead, he's in there in his fucking lab coat and goggles and his goddamn microscope that he doesn't know how to use. And he's like, I'm going to figure this shit out. And the movie Neville does that, too. He's like, I'm not going to let this happen. But it's already fucking happened. That's where, like, the ego and the hubris comes in, you know? 
Yeah, and a uh, real quick throwback to episode one. I love that in the book he cl- cleans his wounds with whiskey. <laughs> and I was like, oh, he's Abby. I'm sure I underlined that at some point. <laughs> it was fucking fantastic. You guys are meant to be. We, oh, my God. I thought Robert Neville was so fucking hot in my mind. Okay. So in my mind, I know we have very different pictures here. <laughs> Which is so fun. So I picture Neville as Nicolas Cage. Ew. And the vampire that kind of stalks him outside, Ben Cortman, I picture as Giovanni Ribisi. Well, that makes me sad because I think Giovanni Ribisi is so cute. <laughs> no, I like love him, but okay. that's just, I picture him as this, I know it's not how he's described. I just picture him as, <laughs> as this super obnoxious guy, like, that's really Neville! Short. Like, can't you just see Giovanni Ribisi yelling Neville come out? <laughs> I think I totally can. You're right. And then Nicolas Cage has this weird erratic. Oh, like, that's good. Yeah. I don't know. He always seems like that. That's how I pictured him. And I know Nicolas Cage is older than he's supposed to be in the book, but that's just the picture I had. Well, Nicolas Cage doesn't age. That's true. But I also fucking hate him. I, like, can't stand any movie that he's ever been in. I fucking hate him. He's my Daryl Hannah, but except he's <laughs> except he's Nicolas Cage, so he's Daryl Han- Hannah number two. I think I've had too much vodka. Anyway, continue. So, in the... I have other stuff to say, but you can go first if you want. <laughs> in the book, every night they surround Neville's house. Oh, yeah. Would, wouldn't you try to leave? Could you not find another house? Okay, that's a really good question. I would want to stay at my house if I could, because I know it, and I know all the weaknesses. But they're literally tormenting you every night. Where? What's the alternative? I don't know. Find a giant mansion that nobody knows you're there. Oh, it has a gate. <laughs> like, step one, find a house that has a gate. <laughs> Maybe. It just seems like instead he burns down the houses around him. You couldn't find even like a farmhouse. Yeah, you're totally right. I agree. In the movie, this changed entirely because the vampires don't know where his house is. So I think that also changed <gasps> yeah. the mentality of his entire existence. Yeah, because he had a safe haven. He had a hole that he could hide in. And he also, that kind of mirrors, sort of, no, never mind. But yes, he had a hole that he could hide in. <laughs> Shut up. A hidey hole. <laughs> I can't look at your face because it makes me laugh. <laughs> I have other things to say. Do you want me to go? Yeah. Um, Going back to his research, I feel like, never mind that I already said this. One thing that I noticed throughout the book... And the movie was like this whole through line of God and religion. Maybe not religion, but faith. So you had Will Smith saying, I'm not going to let this happen, even though it already had. Whereas Neville in the book, he just really has blind hope. Like he does, there are no reassuring signs from God. Right. Like he gets the dog at some point and the dog fucking dies. Mm -hmm. So there's, I think that really kind of plays into the futility of the book. Yeah. This book was very bleak. I thought it was super uplifting and inspirational. Okay. That works. <laughs> go, go ahead. Um, I thought it was interesting that in both the book and the movie, they both experiment only on women. <gasps> I didn't even notice that. The only thing I noticed was her boobs bouncing while she was breathing <laughs> on the table because it's like so fucking in your face. Mm-hmm. Okay, Tell me more. I mean, I don't have that much more. I just thought it was an interesting fact that they never experiment on men. They both only experiment on women. And I don't really know what that says. That's incredible. And I think it probably wasn't even a conscious decision. I'll be honest on either like the filmmaker's part or the author's part. I pro- I doubt that it was conscious. I think for the author, it probably was <laughs> conscious because Neville is just a little bit manic wanting to have sex so bad throughout the book i think that's true but i also think that like so we were talking about that a little bit that we couldn't quite figure out why he wanted to have sex with these gross walking corpses essentially i didn't understand why they were tempting to him i think it's because 
I, th- I had to think about this pretty hard and makes me feel a little bit dumb, but I think it's because we're supposed to see him trying to fight these animalistic urges that reflect the vampires. So like he has qualities that they have as well. He has, yeah, exactly. And he has to fight against them with his logic and his humanity to not become like them, essentially. Okay. To not let the entire human race be degraded because he's the last one. That makes sense. Most of the book, I just didn't understand the manic need he had. It That's because you don't have a penis. That's probably true as or well. Or testicles. That's yeah, 100%. So. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, that leads me to my other question. What if this book had a female lead? How different would it look? It would look a, a lot different. Like, I can't even imagine how different it would look. She would I'm be like, I want glorifying in her time alone. I uh, Right? She'd be, like, taking a fucking bubble bath. There would be champagne. She'd, she'd be reading all the books. Yeah, she'd be kicked back in the bathtub with all these bubbles and candles, reading a book, <laughs> being like, oh, peace, silence. <laughs> I don't have to cook for anyone. Yay! That's literally my, like, demand on Sundays. I'm like, Sundays are the day of rest. I don't have to feed any fucking human being or animal. Because that's amazing. That's great. It's exhausting feeding people. It was interesting because I, like, couldn't even picture it in my mind. I I think uh, with the amount of energy he spends trying to fight his sexual need, a woman could get a hell of a lot done. (laughs) I think that's probably true. Also, the library scene, I was like, why are you trying to find a cure? Just read all the novels you've been wanting to read and that you haven't had time for. Yeah, just live with them for as long as you can. And then, you know, maybe work on it when you're done. Exactly. It's like the guy in the Twilight Zone of the episode you've never seen because you've never seen the Twilight Zone. Because I suck. <laughs> where, he's, where he steps on his glasses. You don't know what I'm talking about. Ha <laughs> ha, totally. <laughs> I have one more thing to say. He like he kind of gives up after the dog dies. He's like make, he you kind of get this feeling of like maybe hope isn't the way to go and I'm like fuck yes, you finally resigned yourself. Like this is how I want to live my life. Like it's so freeing. Nothing means anything, but in the best way possible. That is so sad and depressing to me. <laughs> like apathy is just the best way to live. That's what we were just describing. I know, but if you have like nothing, you have nothing. You hope for nothing. How long? So every moment is important, is like fine and happy and great. But how long can you? He's got alcohol and records and books. How long can you really go on like that? Here's another question I have for you. Would you rather be completely alone or alone with one other person forever? I would probably shove them out to the vampires. I would trip them on our run home. Just fucking leave me alone. Well, you were chewing too long. Have fun outside. <laughs> you were chewing too loudly. So I don't want to hear your sounds. You were breathing way too loud. Get out of my house. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> that's exactly how I would feel. Did you know that's a real thing? It's called misophonia. Um, I know that it drives me insane when people eat loud things that crunch and it sounds like they're eating nails. I want to like <laughs> stick hot pokers in my ears. I can't do it. The thing that bothers me is like when you can hear their cheeks making a suction. <gasps> and it's like, oh my God, I just want to light fire to the world. But you can't because you're a human and you got to live uh, in society. Oh my gosh. It's the most annoying thing in the world. <laughs> it's horrible. Okay, moving on. Um, Unless you have more. No, I'm good. Okay. Neville captures a creature who's out in the daylight and she has human-like qualities. The human is named Ruth, and though at first Neville is suspicious of her truly being human, he soon begins to embrace the company of having another companion. Ruth is highly opposed to killing the infected beings, even if they are attacking. Ruth lives with Neville and the two eventually form a sexual relationship. I thought it was interesting that by the time he finds her, it had been three years since he's seen another living person. Yeah, that's what I wrote in my notes, too. Like, three years have passed. That's a fucking long time. You've resigned yourself, and you've assumed that you're never going to see another human again. Yeah, when I say I want to be alone, I mean for, like, a weekend. 
Ditto, sister. Yeah, I don't think I want to be alone for three fucking years. No. I thought... No matter how many records I have. This was kind of an interesting dynamic to me because he had romanticized this moment so much finding a woman. Yeah. I don't know how anyone could ever live up to that. But I thought the really oh my God. interesting thing was, in a twist, we've romanticized vampires so much. Ooh. We're not all running around with Bill Compton and Eric. Oh, my God, Eric. Fuck Bill Compton. Just take Eric. So I just thought it was interesting how, you know, we've completely kind of turned them. And it, no matter what, it's going to be a letdown. That's amazing. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, there's no way. I don't think anyone or anything can live up to the romanticized pictures that we get in our own heads. I think that's 100% true. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. That's really interesting to think about. The thing that I thought was interesting with this whole situation was like when he sees her from across the fields, the way he takes her down and gets her back to his house was so fucking disturbing. Like, he was more gentle with the dog. But at the same time, like, he doesn't understand why she's afraid of him. And... Like, what? Penetration is why I'd be afraid of him. She can see there's no humanity left in him. There is this scary, grizzled man screaming and running after you. What do you think a sane human is going to do? Oh, my God. I'd be terrified. I'd be so terrified. Like, if somebody looks at me wrong while I'm, like, at an intersection, I get scared. So I can't imagine. If somebody walks too close behind me. Yeah. I had this situation once when I lived in Southern California. I was at the grocery store. I was getting in my car, and I saw this guy. I was in my early 20s, and I was cute then. Um, (laughs) I saw this guy from across the parking lot, and he, like, was hustling it towards my car and like waving his arms and like nope nope yeah and i'm like rushing to and it wasn't it was in broad daylight i'm like rushing to close my window and he's like knocking on my window and like giving me these faces like what the fuck are you doing and i'm like what the fuck are you doing like i was terrified and there were people around so i can't even imagine how scared she would be it's interesting because i've had this conversation with andrew before like being a woman you have to take all these precautions and he doesn't understand like why i make sure i have my keys in my hand before i go to the car yeah like, he never thinks about those things. So I picture Robert Neville not even this going through their head where I just assume women have always felt like this. You always have to be on the defensive, kind of. You always have to watch your surroundings. Yeah, and if you don't, it's your fucking fault. Exactly. Where It's like, oh, she was stupid. She should have been watching out. Well, fuck you. No, I should be able to walk to my car without being scared. So I kind of saw the same with Neville here where he doesn't think anything of it, where she's scared for her life, her body, her everything. Everything. Do you think the author was aware? I hope he was. He'd have to be, right? I'd like to think so, but I also don't know. It's the 50s and I don't know how prevalent that was and talked about where we're a lot more open now yeah i'm wondering if it was just there to create tension it might have been i i mean because there's not a lot of other tension and like there's not a little action in this book i guess no and then i was afraid that he was gonna rape her and then i was like well i'm really glad that we didn't get rape in this book like that's one less check on my tally of rape i know i'm keeping a tally for how many rape scenes we have to read throughout this podcast so oh fuck it's gonna be so long dude. so far we're only at book one out of two so <laughs> just a 50 percent. there's a 50 percent chance you will read rape <laughs> <laughs> and hear about it and discuss it and have to think about it and talk about it and, and have yeah. to tell me me have to tell you that you cannot say that this is another edition of You Cannot Say That with Casey and Abby. <laughs> okay. Anything else to say about that part? Yeah. In the movie, the woman, Anna, she enters the movie a lot differently. Yes. She saves him. She does save him. And after reading the novel, because the vampires attack Will Smith, but I almost don't blame them. He did steal this guy's teenage girlfriend to experiment on. And I think it's not easy right. finding hot undead people that <laughs> you can connect with. I mean, I don't know if there's a Tinder for that. With really perky tits. Yeah. <laughs> did you know that the head, the alpha male, was played by Dash Mihawk? Do you know who he is? I don't know who he is. He who He played a really... Oh, fuck. Well, who was he in um, 
He was in Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm, okay. What is his fucking name? I don't know the character's name. He's also in um, Fear the Walking Dead season one, at least. Okay. I've seen season one. But I thought it was interesting um, that these really horrible CGI characters were played by actual actors. Yeah. I hated the CGI in this movie. It was so fucking bad. It made me want to scream. Like, I know they had a budget to do better. Like, if Peter Jackson in 2000-whatever can do better with Lord of the Rings, fuck you. Once again, I'm comparing movies, but anyway. What did you say his name was? Dash? Dash me, huh? Okay. Oh, I do know who he is. Yeah, you know who he is. You just don't know his name. He's also in... Uh, my husband's favorite movie, The Day After Tomorrow. Yes, I forgot. Oh, Dash, you helped Dennis Quaid survive. Yep. He. That's so cool. He's also in uh, Silver Linings Playbook. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So I, I haven't seen that. In a I one hundred percent did not recognize him in this movie, but I kind of felt bad the whole movie. He just wants his girlfriend back. He does. He's like, give me my fucking lady back, dude. Yeah, you stole her in their middle of the night, and, you know, he just wants her back. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, it's high noon, which means it's midnight. The other thing is, like, that kind of highlights that, you know, they still have some humanity or some, like, animalistic nature that they hold on to. They're not just dead bodies. That was actually such a great part in the movie because the vampires set a trap for him. Oh, I fucking loved that. I forgot about that. I thought that that really showed that they are still functioning. Their brains are still working. They're not zombies. Yeah. And they still have whatever their new normal is. Exactly. Yeah. That was fucking awesome and terrifying. I was scared. I was too. And yeah. Even though this movie is, like, categorized, I think it's, like, categorized as, like, a drama and thriller and not a horror movie, which I was surprised about. But, yeah. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Drama, horror, sci-fi. Oh, okay. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, we were talking about when Grace comes back. Oh. Is that her name? I was going to say this at the end, but it fits here, too. So, in the book, he he says normalcy is a majority concept. Yes. And I thought that was such a great and profound thing. Yes. I fucking love that. I think it's so true. So in the movie, when these vampires do attack him, I really felt that too, because you are the odd man out. You are the weird one. Yeah. You're the one who's basically the um, predator at this point. Yeah. They're living their lives and you are interrupting it. Yeah. Fuck you, Robert Neville. (laughs) Just kidding. I love you. Um, can we? I'm really drunk. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Can we pause here before we start? Have you watched that movie, Truth or Dare? No, but I heard it's terrible. Okay, I watched it last night. Was it terrible? Uh, Andrew hated it so bad. Because it's terrible. I kind of appreciated the badness of it. Okay, so like it was fun. Like it was, I mean, it was dumb, but. Yeah. Like, I didn't hate it, but I'd give it, like, a 5 out of 10. Okay. So, so like, you wouldn't watch it again, but, like, you'd be like, hey, you want a fun Thursday night with pizza? Here's this movie. Yeah, it's super dumb, but, I mean, I kind of like bad things anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, me too. Like, I'd never rewatch Clan of the Cave Bear, but. <laughs> Are you sure? Pretty sure. <laughs> I just keep picturing her in my mind spinning around yelling Ayla into the Ayla! <laughs> I just want to kill myself. Now just picture Mr. Ribisi yelling Neville. <laughs> spinning around. <Come> out, Neville. <laughs> Come out. Can't you okay. see him as that part? Yes, but I liked Kevin from The Office better. Yeah, that too. I feel like he didn't have enough charisma to be yelling. (laughs) You're right. I think you have to go with Giovanni for that. Good point. Like with Giovanni, I'd be tempted to go out. I love that you know who Giovanni Ribisi even is. Do people not know him? I don't think he's a household name. (laughs) 
but I fucking love him I, and have since I was 13 years old. I love him so much. Like, I want him to show up in everything. <laughs> and I, he's great. I don't know why he's not. I don't either. He's an excellent actor. Did you ever see Suburbia? I think you see his wiener in that one. Ooh, I don't know if I want to see him naked. I just like how, like, weird and quirky he is. <laughs> why am I wanting to have sex with him? And you're like, he's a great actor. <laughs> like i just want to bone him i feel like he's a hobbit he's i think i have a thing for shorter men because i really love the singer from green day too they're so short (laughs) they're so short they're like wearing platform shoes sometimes i dream what it would feel like to be taller though because you're diminutive like i think man how easy would life be if i wasn't a foot shorter than my husband uh, Will you promise to leave like a snippet of that in because that was pretty gold. Which part? The Giovanni Ribisi part. Okay, I'll try to leave that. <laughs> okay. Neville, on his quest to discover a cure to the pandemic, samples Ruth's blood. He discovers that Ruth is indeed infected. Ruth knocks Neville unconscious as soon as he reveals her secret. He awakes to a note from Ruth that explains how many of the infected infected have adapted and plan to rebuild society don't fucking laugh i can't not say infective in that (laughs) it was your cat that killed me (laughs) oh yeah if you guys hear a cat or multiple dogs i have an extra dog at my house right now so i can't do anything about it however neville stands in their way and has killed many of their kind due to this the new colony of infected Send Ruth to investigate Neville and possibly convert him. However, she realizes that he must be executed for the betterment of her people. Thus, the novel concludes with Neville's, I mean, with Neville's final thoughts before his execution in the colony's prison. I am legend. I'm not doing that again. Is it good enough? That's yeah, fine. Okay. <sighs> okay. <laughs> We're fine. Uh, do you have anything to say about the end? I'm sure you do. I mean, I have a lot to like say poignant. about the end. It it's, was very poignant. poignant. Okay. I think it's interesting when he reads her note that he wants, he contemplates leaving and he wants to leave, but he's so used to his home and his habits that he just can't. Yeah. And part of me feels like you're just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> you're just fucking lazy, Neville. And she also tells him that there's others like him out there. Why wouldn't you go looking for them? That's a good question. I didn't. I never thought of that. Like he spent all these years wanting to find somebody, and here she's like, "Hey, there's more people like you." And he he doesn't. He's not even curious. He's just so comfortable in his solitude. I mean, I would be too. I mean, think about it. That is so unknown. Other people out there. I wouldn't want to like risk it. Taking that chance is a really big deal. It is, but I feel like I don't know. No, I know what you mean. I just my first thought in any apocalypse is get the fuck away from other people because people suck. Yeah, but I feel like this is a different kind of apocalypse. This isn't the road. I mean, in what way though? It's not. It's still people being fucking assholes because they're people. Yeah, but this is like a pandemic where it changes people on a cellular level. Yeah. I don't know. If I think if there was another chance for human interaction and all he wants is to find someone not infected, then why wouldn't you at least chance it? Control. Because I think that's why he's so into getting Ruth into his house. Mm-hmm. I think he wants a microcosm of just like an environment he can control, which I totally don't blame him for. I would feel the same way. In the movie, I understood more why he didn't want to leave because he says New York is ground zero and he can do. Yeah. The most good he could do is from his house. He has this whole lab. He's got the vampire girlfriend to work on. Like, <laughs> right? like I get it. But <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> so again i i get that but i didn't see in the book why he wouldn't chance it okay i think you and i disagree on this okay. one. i think robert neville's in the book his basic human trait is to be is to try to control his environment and if there's an unknown factor he's not going to chance it that makes sense i just you know you spend 140 odd pages wishing to find somebody 
Yeah. And then you're like, oh, nope, comfortable at home. They're going to come get me, but I'm cool with that. But it goes back to what you said, too, where it's like that fantasy of what a person could be like nobody's ever going to live up to that ever again. Yeah. After he's caught, he has this great conversation with Ruth that new societies are always primitive. And so I think here's really where I started to see the vampire side of it. Right. And that they are a new species. They are just starting out. And she tells him that because he sees these vampires come and kill everybody and they're really ruthless and hot, ruthless and vengeful. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. And she says they're only failable, fallible, failable men and men can learn to enjoy killing. That's an old story. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was really interesting because if you look back through all civilizations, it basically always starts with murder, conquering. I mean, it's it's throughout humanity. You cannot escape it. No. That's so how true. different are they really when you kind of boil it down? It's just another spoke on the wheel, essentially. She also says something about you kill to survive. And I thought it was interesting that they are killing to survive, but he's a villain for doing the same thing. Ooh, very true. It's dog eat dog. It really is. And, you know, to be the top species, you have to kill. Yeah. And then in that last section, he tells Ruth not to let the new society be too, I don't remember what the word was, but it's like too terrible, essentially. Yeah. Too. I don't remember the word. And she almost tries to argue, but then she's like, sure, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's I like, mean, he's dying, she, so, you know, whatever he wants is fine. Yeah, like, whatever he wants to hear is okay. And I think that goes along with what you were saying, where it's, this is a new society. This is going to be how it's going to be. Yeah. The other thing that I thought perfectly tied the end of the book with the rest of it about probably halfway through Neville says, witches and vampires and all of these feared beings, there was a sort of interwoven kinship. Legends and superstitions could overlap. Yeah. I thought that was great. And it really just brought it all together. Tied it up with I am legend. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Going back to him and Ruth, it's like he... and to Faith, too. Like, he go, he's talking to Ruth and trying to get her to, like, agree that she's not going to let this society turn into what basically humanity turned into, where they all destroyed each other. And he has hope, but he really can't do anything to help her control the situation. All he has is that blind faith. And then I got the feeling that Ruth knows that it's sort of inevitable and is resigned to whatever the society ends up becoming, like... That's just how it goes. It's like another part of the cycle. Yeah, I think she's just kind of a spoke on the wheel. And, mm-hmm. you know, she can't really change anything. She can have an opinion or have a voice, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything in the grand scheme of their new society. Right. The other thing that I thought was interesting, because he goes to the prison window and he sees the mass, like the horde of quote unquote people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like you said, fear really plays into this, like the fear of the masses. He can like literally see it on their faces and they've rallied against him and they're going to be violent because of their fear. And he brings up this imagery of the mob by comparing them to buzzing insects, which I thought was pretty clever. And I also felt like he was saying something about mass hysteria and it tied back to that flashback he had about the revival tent. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. That was one of my favorite parts in the book. These people are overtaken with fear, leading them to just lean on prayer as their salvation. And he says it was a typical desperation for quick answers, and they had turned to primitive worship as a solution. Mm-hmm. But I think he's doing the same thing in his quest for like a scientific answer that won't end up saving him anyway. Like It's his ego, and all of it is futile, no matter what, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's so bleak. <laughs> It's super bleak, but here's the thing is I preferred the futile message of the book over the message of hope the movie had. Yeah, I I had that written down that in the movie he finds the cure, he blows himself up along with, right. you know, the poor man just looking for his girlfriend. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then Anna takes the cure to a colony survivor of survivors, which leaves a much more hopeful and bright future. And the end of the film, she says that this is Robert Neville's legacy. This is his legend. Yeah. And... You know, I thought that was really interesting. He will be a hero for humanity, where in the book, he basically turns into Krampus and vampires scare their children with him. <gasps> That's exactly what I thought, because, okay, so, like, I preferred the futile message of the book over the message of hope that the movie had, because I feel like there's something really freeing and beautiful in seeing how small and insignificant we are. Mm -hmm. In comparison to nature, like we said, the spoke on the wheel. And on the scale of the universe, we're a fucking blip. Yeah. We're nothing. And that's, I think, really great. <laughs> <laughs> but like in the movie, you've got this message of hope that he's going to live on for eons. I guess they both will. So the exact quote at the end, he says, A new terror born in death. A new superstition entering the insalable fortress of forever. I am legend. Which is beautiful. And it is beautiful. And I think it's really interesting because he basically becomes the monster of their nightmares. Oh, isn't that everyone's dream? Like, Don't you long to be Krampus? I long to be Krampus. Can't you just feel my claws running down your back mm -hmm. in your nightmares? Yeah. Anyway. I just thought yeah. it was really interesting because they definitely take two different looks where one is humanity's future and the other one is the vampire future. Yes, that's so true. Yeah. I didn't even think about it that way. And it's funny because I can totally see why Will Smith was cast as the hero in this movie. Because he's I a hero? Well, yeah. Independence actually. Day, you cannot say he is not a hero. Welcome to Earth. With an F. Um, I think if they were going to follow the message of the book, purely stick to the message of the book, then they would have needed to choose somebody like else. Nicolas like Nicolas Cage. I mean, I fucking hate Nicolas Cage, so no. But maybe like, I don't know, Ryan Reynolds. Because <laughs> he's hot. <laughs> but like, this was around the same time as The Pursuit of Happiness came out. I think The Pursuit of Happiness either came out like the year before or the year after. So you can really see, like, this is in the vein of the kind of movies that he chooses to do with, like, that really hopeful message, overcoming odds, all that bullshit. I love Will Smith, but... I think he plays a great hero. He does play a great hero. And he does a lot of pull-ups in the movie. He does do that shirtless. I don't know how he does that, because I would... I can't do one. Neither can I. All right. Do you... Is that what you had to say about this book? That's all I had to say. I feel like we do a worse job when we like the book. Yeah, this one was definitely a little bit harder for me, but I don't know if it's because it was so influential or they yeah, diverged I think we, so much. Like, I respect this book. I do, too. In a way that I, I mean, I respected Clan of the Cave Bear, but I mean, we I know we can't really compare them because they're completely different. But, like, I respected it in a different way than I respect this one. This one, I feel like, was, had, a, like, a literary influence. Yeah, I think they're very different. And, yeah. you know, I think this book kind of changed our world. Which is so fucking incredible. It's really amazing. Where Also, also we didn't talk about the cover art. The cover art is amazing. Everyone should go look at it. Yeah, because it's like, oh, vampires used to be scary at one point. They don't glitter in the sun. They don't glitter in the sun. You don't want to make out with them. I mean, maybe Robert Neville does, but I don't. Because most people really do now. <laughs> well, yeah. But yeah, the cover art is incredible. There's actually a note in the front of the book, which is kind of interesting. It says, if you purchase this book without an, without the cover art, it's a pirated copy. Did you see that note? I didn't. Yeah, it's like an unauthorized copy. That's interesting. Yeah, but I want a print of the cover art on my wall to hang in my office. Because I want to terrify my child. It is a great picture. Okay, so any final thoughts on the book or the movie or both? I think it kind of summed it up. I actually, you know, the novel is fantastic. I have seen the movie before, but I liked it a lot better this time. Me too. Agreed. I think the book gave me a much larger appreciation for this movie. Yes, I agree. Um, the book sits with me in how much it has influenced the the other things that I read and I watch and I didn't realize that yeah. this was still influencing our pop culture. I mean, think about it. We wouldn't have had that 
Tina or Tina, fuck. <laughs> Sabrina. <laughs> Tina the teenage witch. Sabrina the teenage witch referencing fucking Night of the Living Dead without this. It's like that's incredible. Yeah. To me. I think in 2018. I thought the book was great on its own, but I think the true legend is <laughs> how much it has touched and given us what we have. Yeah, I fucking love this book. It's going to go on my favorite section of my bookshelf for sure. That's awesome. I love the fatalism and I love the nihilism. And can you love fatalism? I mean, evidently or you can. Apathy? Well, I love apathy. I want a shirt. This is I heart apathy. On okay. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. I know you've seen the movie before. So did your opinions change after reading the book? I had a lot more respect for the movie, actually. Like, I thought I kind of went along with that sort of narrative that this movie is not that great. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, there's problems with it, sure. But I think Will Smith really did his best as far as being that very lonely, sort of driven to madness by loneliness kind of guy. Yeah. And I think, and I have respect for the fact that they tried to translate it for a modern audience i 100 percent agree oh that makes me happy and i also have respect for the fact that they put their own message of hope into it as much as i love the futility and the fate not fatality the futility in the book i think it's really cool that they tried to do their own thing with it in the movie yeah i thought that the i don't know the right word leniency they took was great and it yeah it, it fit with the story yeah it did because it could go either way. Like I said, it's like, is it hope or is it hubris? Like, exactly. It could it could really go either way. And I think that's something that's really beautiful about this book. And I, I have a lot of respect for There's it. There's so many different takes you can walk away with that. I don't know. I thought it was great. Fucking love this book. Read it, everyone. Yeah. If you haven't read it, definitely give it a chance. And if you've seen the movie and hated it, Again, read the book. Give it another chance because... Yeah, because if you, if you hated the movie, you'll probably love the book because it means you're a pessimist and you need to see or you need to read the book. Once again, I remember seeing this movie and I didn't think much of it. Like, it was fine, whatever. I'd never watch it again. And now, you know, I have a lot more respect for it. Yeah. Ditto, sister. Excellent. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for tonight. Okay. So if you're reading along with us, our next book will be the classic, The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. And we will release that episode in two weeks. Yes. We would love to hear from everyone. And you can find us on our website at the litflixpodcast.com. You can also. That's on the internet. That is on the internet. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we are even on Goodreads. Oh, I love our Goodreads account. I think that's my favorite thing that we have. We have so many books on there. (laughs) That will die before we read them all. So in order to never miss an episode, please subscribe. And until next time, cheers.